we traditional Indians don't participate in that system. We're oppressed by it, but we don't try to be a part of it. You can't go to another people's land and try to kick everyone there off the land when they have nowhere to go and kill most of them in the process and then say that the ones who are left are supposed to join your club. That's wrong. We don't like their club and we won't join it. If it were a good club, they wouldn't expect us to and they'd leave our club alone. I know there's some that tell you if you don't get baptized here a particular way or believe they're favorite brand of religion or whatever, that you're going to get a, go to hell. And we don't have any hell. I'm sorry, but we don't. First place, we know they wouldn't want us Indians there. And they certainly wouldn't want me there. This is Rolling Thunder, Part 1, Return to the Land, the first of an eight-part program on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. Rolling Thunder had offered to perform a healing ritual for a young man who was a participant in the conference and had been injured in a soccer game just before coming to Kansas. He'd been kicked with a spiked shoe and the hole in his leg had healed over and become infected underneath. There were many doctors at the conference but there was no medical equipment and some of the doctors thought the injured man should be taken to a hospital. Rolling Thunder had looked at the wound and during the three days since the beginning of the conference, while he was deciding about his talk, he had also decided to treat the young man's leg. He decided that the Indian medicine ritual should take place that evening at 7 o'clock in the hall where the talk had been given. At 7 o'clock, almost everyone who had heard Rolling Thunder speak that afternoon was in the lecture hall. In the front of the room sat the injured man, a young man with long hair and a beard. His right pants leg was rolled up to the knee, and I could see the painful-looking bruise. Earlier that day, while Rolling Thunder was answering questions, I'd glanced around the lecture hall looking for the injured man. I learned that he'd been in bed during the lecture. It had become too painful for him to walk or even stand on his injured leg. The room was silent. The cameras and recorders that had been in the room earlier were absent. Beside the chair where the injured man sat were a large basin with some water in it and a bowl containing the bright red meat. Rolling Thunder entered at the back of the room and walked down the center aisle carrying the old suitcase that was his medicine bag. He wore the old brown hat with the feather in it. No introduction was needed. We all knew that the man in the front of the room had a painful infected leg injury and that Rolling Thunder was about to perform an Indian medicine healing ritual. Rolling Thunder had explained in his lecture that there had once been a large number of medicine men throughout the land, but now the nearest Indians were miles away. 
most of the leaders were gone. There is no longer a chief or a medicine man in this territory, Rolling Thunder said. I had to look into that when I first came here. This was once a place where Indians gathered to hold council. That's how it got its name, Council Grove. But now I find that there are no chiefs or medicine men in this area. Had it been otherwise, Rolling Thunder would have made contact. Tradition requires permission to perform a healing ritual in another man's domain. Rolling Thunder approached the chair where the injured man sat and placed his suitcase on the floor. He looked quietly at his patient, and then he whispered something. The young man began taking off his shoes. Rolling Thunder knelt on the floor and opened his suitcase. He took out a number of things. I could identify only a large feather with a handle and a rather ordinary pipe. He took off his hat, and I noticed he had soft, graying hair. He filled the pipe and put it to his mouth. Then he turned to face us. Holding the pipe between his teeth, he stood and looked at us. I became awkwardly aware of the group of spectators, but then Rolling Thunder spoke, and the awkward feeling left. Among my own people at home, I have assistance to make these preparations, Rolling Thunder said. They even light my pipe for me. He struck a match, and for a moment he continued to watch us as he held the flaming stick between two fingers. But here I guess I have to do these things myself. He sucked at the flame, and puffs of smoke billowed. As I watched, I pictured myself standing beside him, holding the match to his pipe. I almost wished I could have been standing there. At that moment we ceased being an audience. We were patient and healer and concerned observers. There was a feeling of harmony in the room. As the healing ritual was about to begin, I watched Rolling Thunder inhale long, deep puffs on the pipe and let the smoke rise from his mouth. I felt a sense of responsibility. I knew at once that those of us who were watching could affect the outcome of the ritual, and I realized that Rolling Thunder had used his pipe and his match and his words about assistance to bring us into the role of participants. I thought of the familiar situations in which attitudes create atmospheres. A practiced instructor can create a tangible atmosphere of confidence in a classroom through direct outward projection from his own mind of a conscious state of clarity and a feeling of calm. Or one student can negate the elucidative effect of a lecture by projecting his own state of confusion. Now, in the light of much closer acquaintance with Rolling Thunder, I can recall his words as he lit his own pipe for the ritual that April evening. Out of his perception, his unusual sense of communication, and his straight and simple manner, came words and gestures superbly suited to creating a strong feeling of confidence and an attitude of cooperation. Rolling Thunder drew upon the pipe four times, once facing east, once facing north, once south, and once west. To the east where the sun rises, to the north where the cold comes from, to the south where the light comes from, to the west where the sun sets, to the father sun, to the mother earth. Rolling Thunder handed his pipe to his patient. The injured man also drew four times on the pipe and deeply inhaled the smoke. Rolling Thunder spoke to him in a matter-of-fact tone. Why do you want to be relieved of this condition? Do you just want to feel better? Or what are you going to do? 
Is there anything else that you'd like to improve or change? Is there anything else you'd like to say? Because whatever you say now, that's the way it's going to be. The young man spoke without hesitation. He was not embarrassed. His voice was clear and serious. He explained his injury and said he wished to have it healed. Then he stopped talking. Rolling Thunder apparently wanted to establish more reason, so he questioned his patient about his plans and why he felt it important to have the painful infection removed. The man said that there was much work to be done and he needed to be free from his injury to better involve himself in important social projects. Rolling Thunder turned to face the man and began a very high wailing chant. I could not see his face. For a moment, I imagined that his mouth and eyes were closed and that the sound was coming out of the top of his head. It was not an ordinary sound, but a high-pitched wailing. The sound must have come from rolling thunder, yet it seemed to come from a point above where he stood. When the sound stopped, rolling thunder placed the man on his back. There was no definable change in rolling thunder's physical form, but there was something about the attitude of his stance that made him look very different. Suddenly he thrust his head on the wound and sucked at it with his mouth. The sucking lasted for several minutes. It was a strange scene, the patient lying on his back, the medicine man bent over him, his beaded medallion hanging from his neck, and his mouth upon the patient's leg. But it was even stranger to hear. From rolling thunder came sniffing, howling, and wailing sounds, unlike any of the ordinary sounds made by a man. Rolling Thunder lifted his mouth from his patient's leg. He held his lips tightly together. Still bending over, he turned and took a few steps. With his back to the observers, he leaned over the basin and vomited violently. The sniffing, sucking, wailing, and vomiting was repeated again and again. Then Rolling Thunder began placing his hands upon the wound. Twice during this procedure, he spit upon one palm, rubbed his hands together vigorously, and placed both palms at once upon the injured area. The patient was returned to his chair, and Rolling Thunder knelt to pick up the large feather with the handle. With the feather, he made brisk sweeping motions over the patient's entire body, about his head, along his arms, over his chest and his back, and down his legs to his feet. The feather never quite touched the man or his clothing. Rolling Thunder watched through squinted eyes as he swept. It seemed he was seeing something that was invisible to us. Several times he stopped sweeping and turned aside, and with a strong snap of his arm, shook the feather at the raw meat. He put his things back into his case and closed it. In the afternoon he had suggested that he might answer more questions after the ritual was over, but now he picked up his bag and said, I don't feel like answering questions at this time. I don't feel too good just now. He pointed to the patient sitting in the chair. You can talk to him. He started through the aisle with his suitcase in one hand and his hat in the other. Then he turned and looked back. Now that meat should be burned to ashes and make sure that no one touches it. When Rolling Thunder left the room, several doctors moved forward and examined the patient's leg. The consensus was that the color had returned to normal, the swelling had decreased, and the flesh around the wound was flexible instead of hard. The young man reported that the pain was gone. 
People began milling around, two large tables were pulled out from the back wall, and the patient, who had been in bed with pain, began an active game of ping-pong. I watched the game, but as I watched, I thought about the ritual. I knew I had not seen enough of what had really happened. I felt something good had been accomplished and that I would like to understand it better. I thought of countless Indians who for centuries held healing rituals, neither hypothesizing nor validating results, but simply experiencing them. No doubt there are a variety of unknown ways in which this nature force or power can work, but Rolling Thunder had explained that the power belongs to the Great Spirit. This seemed to me an appropriate expression when I considered that the Great Spirit is a name, when there must be one, for the collective conscious will energy of the universe, and that one who is sufficiently prepared and purified becomes a clear channel for this power. again. We come from desert country of northeast Nevada where it's high, dry, and cold. And we live, most of us, in Wikiups. We have a number of different tribes living together, plus a few of other people living with us at the present time and uh, giving their energy to to our efforts to reestablish a way of life off the reservation. Nine reservations and colonies within 100 miles around us, mostly Shoshone. So uh, tonight we brought a few of our people and a few of our peop a few people who have been there, Anglo peoples, and uh, have learned about Indian culture and ways and even learned to sing some of our songs. So they met us when we came here to Los Angeles, and so they came up here to help us out. 
and we're very glad that they join us. And we think it's good when people learn, come to us and learn the Indian ways and uh, way of this land. And so I'll talk more about that later on. The first thing we do in our way up there, the same as uh, all traditional Indians who still maintain their religion among the Iroquois, even into South America, all over, and original peoples all over the world. It was the same at one time when they had the nature religion, like it came from the Father, Son, and the Mother Earth. And in the morning, when we rise and we greet the sun and the great spirit back to the earth. And then when the young people stray off into the cities and some of them try the so-called modern life and they try many different trails. Some try drugs or booze. Some try foreign religions. But when they get hurt and return to their home, and the first thing we do is get out the drum. And we sing the welcome song, Ungawa. Oh. So that's the way we greet the sun in the morning. Because we realize, just like all the ancient peoples all over the earth, that without that sun, there could be no life upon the earth. And so that's the respect we have. And so it is in our prayers, too, that we remember the sun. And we also remember our grandmother, the moon, and the one that controls our bodies and the tides of the ocean, controls the women, and also controls our thinking. And so we don't forget our grandmother, the moon. And also, we offer thanks to the stars in the sky. They guide our way. And some of them are great warriors going on. So it is too that we remember those and we give thanks for the Mother Earth. And also we give thanks for all the bird life and the animal life that was placed here. And if those that provide food for us and the plant life and for each other, the women, the babies, and for our young warriors, and we ask always for the return of the earth. That we Indians realize we have no monopoly on anything, and neither does anyone else. That no one has a monopoly on the great spirits we alive.
I thought it might be interesting uh, for if you would like to make more comments about Los Angeles. I have a, a good opinion of Los Angeles. And uh, as a whole, and there's some beautiful areas uh, left yet in the outlying districts and all that. But uh, I admit that there's many things I don't uh, like about the city or what goes on in the city, I should say. Like uh, the water, I can't drink. I think it's too many chemicals. I don't know if it's uh, as bad as, uh, it's not as bad as some places like Kansas City. Uh, it's not reconstituted sewage water, I don't think, even though it tastes like it. And uh, though I have to buy uh, spring water, bottled water, I guess it's all right if you're used to it but I don't think I want to get used to it. And uh, I don't think people realize the harm that uh, so many of these chemicals can do to the body and to the mind. And if they did, I don't think they'd go for it. And then when they breathe them in the air, like the smog, it's not all that harmless. And uh, take it in the milk and the food that they buy at the store. And I noticed that in the audience uh, we were speaking with last night, uh, some of these were young people and uh, a mixed group uh, range uh, from uh, young teenage people all the way up into uh, older elderly people. And they were all seemed to be very good people. But yet, at the great majority of them uh, half dead. They're not alive at all. And I had a very hard and difficult time to get what I guess is new ideas or strange ideas through to them and things that can see, be seen visibly and to reach and communicate with them uh, because their minds have become uh, not only conditioned and uh, regimented to a certain degree, but that uh, uh, there's something else that works there. And it could be a large degree of it to the living in the middle of a city and taking overdoses continuously of these chemicals. It don't make sense to me that uh, those politicians should pass all these strict laws even against uh, uh, marijuana, which is uh, in itself is quite harmless compared to some of the uh, chemicals that allow put in the water and the food and the drink and everything all the time. And uh, in making the laws, it's a lot of it that's really uh, idiotic, stupid. That uh, I mean, uh, they don't use their intelligence. And, uh, and the worst part is that they allow them to put poison, that's what most of it is, into the food and water. And that this is being done in Los Angeles, and it's affecting the people, because if you come into this city, say, once every six months or once a year, then you can notice the difference. However, uh, I know of friends of mine that, uh, live in Los Angeles and uh, were healthy and happy 
been not uh, too many years ago, and it's not that way today. And uh, I'm certain it's not just all economic, like some of them uh, businesses falling apart around them. And uh, there's more to it than that. It uh, reasons for the deterioration of the state of health and well-being. And that uh, I'm sure that the pollution of the air and the water and the environment itself and not understanding more about the nature and how these things affect and why the doctors don't tell them and their gurus don't tell them these things. It's also a great concern to me because they are supposed to be the teachers as well as doctors waiting for somebody to get sick so they can make some money. And that's not the object of uh, it all. And this uh, legislation should be designed also to protect the people and not to force more poisons and chemicals on them than what they already have. <clears throat> Whether it's a state, county, or federal level where they should start, that's their politics. It's not up to me, and that's not my concern, but it should be done. And uh, I'm certain there's people with responsibility, and there may be some of them that even have the intelligence to where they could get started with it and get with it. But these people I spoke to last night have become so dead, so apathetic. I don't look uh, very many of them to even uh, write a letter to their representative. I don't look for very many of them to uh, do anything about anything, but sit maybe and wait for some spiritual experience to come to them. And they're going to be waiting an awfully long time to lay themselves do something to bring it about. white man invaded our land was an act of oppression. Now this oppression extends more and more to non-Indians as well, to minority groups, to people in underdeveloped lands, to people of new generations with new ideas, to all the people outside the government establishment. But we traditional Indians don't participate in that system. We're oppressed by it. We don't try to be a part of it. You can't go to another people's land and try to kick everyone there off the land when they have nowhere to go and kill most of them in the process and then say that the ones who are left are supposed to join your club. That's wrong. We don't like their club and we won't join it. If it were a good club, they wouldn't expect us to and they'd leave our club alone and they'd leave other peoples in other countries alone. Everyone has his own club. If it's a bad club, it's no one else's business. The people will learn in their own way, 
No good system tries to spread itself. It's good to help people, but it's wrong to spread systems. It's wrong to spread beliefs. It doesn't matter whether it's Christianity or what it is, or whether it's supposed to be the best belief in the world, and there is no such thing. It should be told only to those who ask. It's wrong to spread any ideology by intimidation, and that means Christianity, communism, capitalism, democracy, or anything else. And by the way, said Rolling Thunder, we are not a conquered people. We are not subjects. We have made mutual treaties with the white man, most of which the white man has broken, but there has never been a case of surrender. The state of ecology or of modern man's environment was, to Rolling Thunder, another example of oppression. Modern man talks of harnessing nature, conquering nature, and making nature a servant of man. This shows that modern man doesn't know the first thing about nature and nature's ways. And the condition of the environment today proves that. Now everyone's afraid. Afraid of air pollution, radioactivity, and poisoned water. The land is becoming contaminated and the resources are disappearing or becoming unusable. And now people wonder whether it's too late. You can't make any kind of laws or system to control nature or to control man's inner nature, his consciousness or his natural behavior, the way he thinks and feels. That cannot be controlled. No individual or group can block another individual's path or change it against what fits his nature and his purpose. It might be done for a time, but in the end it won't work out. It will only lead to danger and fear for everyone. Even in healing we take that into account. A true healer considers a man's karma and his destiny. He has a way of looking into and understanding what is meant to be according to each individual's own progress and unfoldment. That way things are more realistic and it saves everyone a lot of trouble. Nature is sovereign and man's inner nature is sovereign. Nature is to be respected. All life and every single living being is to be respected. That's the only answer. I know there's some that tell you if you don't get baptized here a particular way or believe their favorite brand of religion or whatever, that you're going to get a, go to hell. And we don't have any hell. I'm sorry, but we don't. First place, we know they wouldn't want us Indians there. <laughs> and they certainly wouldn't want me there because I got bad habits and I'm not perfect. I'm afraid. If I ever became perfect, somebody might mistake me for a politician <laughs> or something like that, and uh, I wouldn't want to be mistook that way, present time especially. You see, our chiefs and medicine people were honest, and evidently yours are not. So there's something like it. And I can tell you what it is. I know I just went through election time. I never voted in my life because I don't, I've never been mixed up. That's uh, probably your thing. Or I don't know if you claim it or not, but anyway, uh, I had nothing to do with that. Same as most of my people. We have our own. And we recognize only one sovereign anyway. And that's a great creator overall. And that's why I guess they say they've never been able to do nothing with the Indian. 
I don't know who told them we were supposed to. I never figured that out yet. And it is true. They've never been able to do nothing with the Indian. They kidnap them, the babies, the children, they still do. Ship them off to boarding homes or farm them out to white families to raise in the hopes they'd be brainwashed and turn against their own by the thousands, hundreds of thousands. But even so, we find that in just about every case, when that Indian gets older, he'll go back to the blanket. And we're always glad to take him back when he comes, decides that no matter how much he serves the purpose, I suppose you call it establishment, and uh, how much he might serve others' purpose, he's never going to be a millionaire. He's never either going to be president, and he's never either going to go to that heaven they talk about. We know that's reserved for certain people. We know, too, in our religion, like I say, we have no hell. And uh, I have no desire to go there anyway. So I never uh, join any foreign religions. One other reason. The next life, we know it as we know it, and every medicine person's been over there, at least one. And it better be real, because we don't have any phonies. It wouldn't last long, I can tell you that. And it says, your next life is extension of the way you live in this life and what you earn. And you can go to a higher plane. You live different lives. We know about that reincarnation, I guess they call it. We know about that. Same as all the other ancient religions and people. And you might go to a higher plane, or you might commit a wrong. We don't say sin. You might do something wrong, or live your life wrong, and you might go to a lower plane, and you might have to work your way all the way back up, or nearly 12, before you're ready to cross over. But then we don't all go to the same place when we cross over. There's different places to go according to how you live this life. And so it is. We create our own hell, our own heaven, starting right here.
Rolling Thunder had explained at Council Grove that his training was experiential. In his first conversation with me, he said that truth cannot be expressed verbally, that it can only be experienced. You have to live it and be part of it, and then you might get to know it. My first step was to learn what Rolling Thunder meant by understanding. Understanding is not the sort of thing my modern establishment education had me believing it was. Understanding, to what Rolling Thunder calls the establishment mind, is simply a rather low-level dance and shuffle, a kind of churning process, by which a number of ideas and concepts are juggled around with the newcomer idea until they all somehow fit together. This fitting provides a feeling of knowing which gratifies the mind. A person simply feels the satisfaction of having all his assumptions fit together, and he says, I know. To Rolling Thunder, knowing is being. His simple description of the arrangement of the universe is that there is a right time and place for everything. That cannot be understood by any process of speech or thought. It's easy to say, but hard to understand. You have to live it to understand it. The meaning of all this is that when Rolling Thunder talks about a right time and place for everything, you have to live it to understand it. He is talking about becoming part of the right time and the right place. He understands right time and right place, and therefore he is a part of right time and place. This means that the right time and place for the summer flower is partly his decision. To put it another way, first you identify the principle, then you practice it. Gradually you understand the principle, that is, you become one with it. When you become one with the principle, it responds to your will. It's one thing to arrive at a realization that all things have time and place. It's quite another to put the realization into practice. I acknowledge this truth, and I speak it. I say it is so, but I do not practice it, and I am therefore not involved with it. Rolling Thunder does practice it. Every day in every action, in all his interrelations with the sun, the earth, clouds, mosquitoes, plants, animals, and people, he practices the understanding that there is a right time and place for everything. He does not gather herbs after sundown, and he only gathers what he needs. He does not take before he gives. He never picks plants to throw them away. He never kills for sport. He never does anything without reason or leaves a thing undone that has a purpose in its doing. For him there are no weeds, no mosquito bites, no unwanted rains. There are no dangerous plants or animals. For him there is no fear. The wind and the rain, the mosquitoes and the snakes, are all within him. His consciousness extends to include them within its very being. What the life of Rolling Thunder communicates is that when someone identifies himself, not with his self-image or his thinking process, but with the flowers, the snow, and all manifestations of the life force, he can do the things of which Rolling Thunder speaks. I acquired this explanation from Rolling Thunder through his actions and through his very being. I have not achieved understanding. I know that I do not know, but I also know how to reach the point of knowing. If understanding is more difficult than I had at first considered, and if practicing the idea of the right time and place involves tremendous effort, then it is infinitely easier than I had ever imagined 
to pluck a summer flower from the snow. It is at least within the realm of possibility. The simple remarks that Rolling Thunder made that day, beginning with, I've got a lot of herbs together and now is the time, are an example of how an adept teacher avoids the limitations imposed by the rational or analytical mind by deliberately planting a seed that in time grows in the student's mind until he or she achieves, almost spontaneously, a full-blown understanding. Though the unenlightened student might feel the need for evidence and reason for immediate conclusions, the Supreme Teacher is above the need to prove his point or even to be understood. At a talk given in the Statler Hilton Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, Rolling Thunder called the attention of the audience to the obviously satanic-inspired decor of the ballroom. And you've got it right here, and the signs all around you, whether you walk in the forest or in a great city, and they're there. Look at the wallpaper and their round face in the picture, and you look at it, study it a few minutes, you see the round one. And the eyes and the nose are a snout like a hawk. And if you look closely and study it with your mind, don't think about me, think about the picture in the wallpaper. And it'll come to you. That's called Chuchua. That's his name. He's the eater of souls. He's the spirit of greed. And that's the sickness of the white man in this land, or most of them today. And that is where you created your own hell and your own destruction, or your parents or grandparents, somebody up there, back there, that refused to accept American way of life. Like I say, we don't have that. That's one of the things we don't have and don't want. And if you look at your wallpaper, you'll see others around. In the middle of those fat ones, you'll see another one. He's the boss. And then if you look further down, you'll see another one with his arms or wings stretched upward. He's the one that brings in those evil ones for the eater of souls. Look at your rug here on the floor in the red representing your hell in this case and in the middle of face it's your devil not ours because like I said before he wouldn't have us and if I did go to that hell I'm not afraid of the devil I don't know about that fear either as well as I don't know about the greed I wasn't raised that way to understand some of the things of the white man's civilization. So it is. I know if they've, many of them have told us, Indian agents, missionaries, different ones, told us we ought to go to hell. Politicians have told us that often. 
that we Indians all ought to go to hell. Be done with us. But what if we did go down there? First thing we're going to have to do is put on a rain dance. It's too hot. And cool it off a little bit. I know he don't want us. So we don't have to worry about that. So, anyway, uh, I think there's a lot of people that don't want to go there. We know there's a lot of people who want to survive and live. And we know that all people know best how they want to live and their own lifestyle and how to raise their children. And that they also want to raise their own children. They don't need any foreigners or somebody else to come over here and tell them how to do it. I know you'd feel that way about your own and the same way we know and feel. And so that's why at this time we're under a lot of tensions and someplace sons a gun and they're making war on us again. And yet we're coming back fast. I mean, we're increasing and babies all over the place. If you don't believe it, visit any Indian camp at this time. And our young people have got the energy again. And we're creating things right out in the middle of the desert where anybody else would starve to death. And we know we can make the rain. We can bring the rain, I mean. We know that we can live with the nature. And we're doing it. In our camp right now, and it rained all summer. And we know it was dry up in Northern California and some other places back east and way over into Europe and different places it was dry. And out in the middle of the desert we had rain all summer because we wanted the willows to stay green for one thing. We're building more wikiups, our people increasing so fast. And there's not room out on the reservations. And so we have our project, our lands, newly acquired lands, off the reservation where they can't hassle us too much and where we can do pretty much what we want to do. We don't violate any laws. We don't allow any liquor, no drugs, and no violence. And that includes people's thinking. I put a man right out of my house and he hadn't said a word for having bad thoughts. And I tell you, we enforce it.
have heard Rolling Thunder, Part 1, Return to the Land, the first of an eight-part program on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. Selections from the book Rolling Thunder by Doug Boyd were read by Mitchell Harding. Music by the Cheyenne Dave Group with T. Knight Walker and the White Skunk Sisters, Wilbur Jack, Buffy St. Marie, Chief Spotted Black Hamilton and the Ponca Sisters, and the Big Fields Villagers. Technical assistance by Margaret Fowler. Production assistance by Mitchell Harding and Amanda Folger. This program was produced for KPFK, Pacifica Radio for Los Angeles by Roy E. Tuckman.